Hello. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Playing in the Sandbox, Conversations in Pedagogy. My name is Dr. Katherine Troyer, and I am the Assistant Director of the Collaborative for Learning and Teaching at Trinity University. story for this podcast is that I have been wrestling for a long time about what differentiates a good professor or teacher from a great one. I think it's really easy to, to explain the difference between, say, someone that's really poor at the craft of teaching and someone that's great. But what about that like really fine line between good and then that elevated great? And the answer I kept coming back to was play. If you've listened to some of my previous episodes, you know that I'm not really talking about play as in games or gamification, although I think there's room for both in the classroom and both are obviously very powerful ways to play. No, what I'm really talking about is that spark of curiosity that motivates us to see what happens, to ask ourselves who, what, when, where, why, and then take the time to figure out by crafting something, by having an idea, to figure out the answers to those questions. And so play is really about curiosity. It's about having rules and knowing how to follow them. It's about being willing to sometimes work with others and sometimes work on our own. And it's also about knowing that trial and error, that succeeding and failing are both part and parcel of the process, which is just as important as the finished product. And so that's what play is. If you think about any type of play that you've engaged in, you know, recently or as a child, at its core, it really is about this curiosity. And so I think what makes a great professor, a great teacher, is the ability to help their students play meaningfully in and out of the classroom so that they are as excited and interested in what we're having them do in the subject that we're teaching as we are. What excites me the most about the framework of play is how illuminating it is. There are things that we do in academia that make no sense if you put them in context of play. And a perfect example is what happens on and during the first day and the first sort of week of classes. And that's what this episode is going to look at, is how can we make sure that we are doing things on that very literal first day, but also that sort of first several days of classes that match what we know from experience is a more effective way to encourage play. Imagine that your friend calls you up and says, I have this new game. It's going to take several weeks to play. I'm so very excited. You have to come over. We're going to start playing tonight. You come over, you're very excited. And then your friend spends the next 50, 75, maybe longer minutes going through the instructions, telling you how difficult this is going to be, how much of a challenge, how much room there is for failure. And then after going through all of that, telling you everything that's going to happen for the next several weeks, your friend says, okay, I'll see you next time. You would feel so incredibly upset because what was the point of that? Why get all anxious? Why get all maybe excited, I don't know, just to have it end before it's even begun. But we do that all the time in academia. 
that's what the first day has traditionally been. It's been syllabus day where we introduce the syllabus. Students often expect to get out early because they know that you're just going to go over stuff and then you're going to set them free. And then the end. They'll come back next time and next time they will begin to do things. This doesn't make sense. And so this is one of the first and sort of easy ways that we can take that first day, but also that first week, which is still a lot of like setting things up and get them to actually start playing. A lot of games have started adapting a, here are the like five basic rules that you need to know. We're going to do a practice game. And then after you've done that, we'll tell you the remaining like seven tricksy rules. Because until you have mastered the basics, none of this other stuff's going to make sense. That's one way to, to start the first day, the first week of classes, is to actually have them get started on the content that you want them to be thinking about, or maybe the types of skill sets that you were wanting them to, to engage in. One way to mimic this would be to break up how you look at your syllabus with your students. I think that there's still value in a faculty member going over certain key points of their syllabus with their students. But there's nothing that says that students have to have mastered every piece of information within a syllabus by the second class period. So perhaps you go over the syllabus on the first day or you go over parts of the syllabus and then on the next class period you look at a different chunk and you relate the various components of your syllabus to activities. For example, in my class after talking to the students about how we were going to be looking at constructions of the home i gave them a post-it note and i asked them to take three minutes and to jot down some ideas about the home and then we shared some of those and i kind of began to bring in some of the theory so that they knew how things were going to go discussion grounded within this critical framework that was a really easy and very short way for me to have them be practicing the skills as I'm telling them about, about the skills they're going to be doing over the course of the semester. You could have students pair up and do an activity. You could have students take a small quiz. Um, it could be a retrieval quiz if you're teaching like chemistry two. It could be over what they learned in chemistry one. There's lots of ways that you can do it, but there's no reason that you have to just have one day devoted to the syllabus. You can be breaking it up over a longer period of time. Carnegie Mellon University in their Center for Teaching Excellence and Educational Innovation has a post on making the most of the first day of class. And in there, they talk about the importance of wetting our students' appetites. And I think this is just a fantastic way to think about things for two reasons. One, we want our students to be hungry for what they will be devouring or at least eating throughout the course of the semester. Second, we want to prepare those taste buds for the experience that they're gonna be having. I like Ethiopian food and I like Mexican food and I will happily eat either. But if I go to a Mexican food restaurant, I am expecting to not be eating Ethiopian food. And, and it's that sort of thing. How can we help our students to see what they should be preparing their taste buds for? To extend the food metaphor a little bit further, John Stevens and Matt Baudry have a book called The Classroom Chef. And although it is geared primarily to K through 12 education, and it is very specifically talking about math, I think there's a lot of ways in which this book is relevant to people even in higher education teaching, as well as people that are not just teaching math courses. Because what they argue is we need to be thinking about how to separate 
the the stuff that should be main dish versus the stuff that should be side dish. We need to make sure that every meal, every lesson plan, every course, every class has something that is going to appetize these students into being prepared for what's following with the main course. And we kind of know, because most of us have eaten quite a bit, what an appetizer should do. It should give you just enough that you are excited about the rest of your meal, but not so much that you're like, no, thank you. And that's what we have to figure out how to do, particularly in that first day and during that first week of courses, is, is to find appetizers that can help students to see, here's what's coming. I hope that you are excited for the next main dish. And they give a really great example of how that can happen with something like math, a subject that is sort of traditionally known for people being like, oh, but I'm not a math person, so I can't do this. Um, and they talk about the fact that in one of their courses, they have this exercise where the students help them figure out the perfect ratio for a mullet. And it sounds silly, and it is a little silly because this is not intended to be a main dish sort of thing. But what happens is, is that throughout the rest of the semester, students were still using that that sort of formula because they understood that there is an exact degree in which a mullet is no longer a mullet and that is a little bit more approachable than say understanding uh, something more abstract in math. So this is what we need to be thinking about for that first day, for that first week. How can we craft assignments? How can we craft activities that are going to really encourage people to see the amazing potential of the courses that we are teaching. There is a risk, I think, though, in going too far. And I just want to briefly mention this. We can't just be doing activities or breaking the course up on the first day between syllabus and, and interactions um, if that's not part of what the course is really going to be. As an introvert, I'm never a big fan of icebreakers, but if you're going to have an icebreaker on the first day and then never ever ask the students to interact with each other again in class, that's not necessarily serving a purpose other than to just break things up. If though you were doing an icebreaker because the rest of the semester is going to be about this collaborative group project, that makes sense. You're getting people comfortable with each other. There's a really good article that came out of the Cult of Pedagogy by Jennifer Gonzalez in October of 2016, where she talks about asking if your lesson is a Grecian urn. And she basically says that, you know, you can do great fun activities, but you do have to make sure that you're not just spending time doing great fun activities just because they're fun or just because that's what was done before. And so even on that first day, even in that first week, we have to make sure that what we're doing and what we're asking our students to do is something that we are hoping that they will see will happen throughout the rest of the semester. I remember last year, I heard something that sort of was a, a paradigm shift for me as a teacher, and it came from Dwayne Colthorpe, who is the Associate Vice President for Academic Affairs, Curriculum and Faculty Development at Trinity. And he said, if your course is going to be primarily discussion based and on that first day, there is never a discussion, you might not be doing something correctly. And that just sort of struck me because I did do things where I would do like call and response and I'd ask a question and solicit answers, or I would have them do maybe a small write in class, but I wasn't usually already starting the true discussion because I felt like I needed to give them time to 
feel comfortable. I needed to give them time to build that sense of community. But he's absolutely correct that you have to start the course in the way that you're hoping to end the course. And it's not going to be there, right? But that's, that's part of play. If you're going to be doing a certain type of activity, you should be preparing them for it all along. And again, what's so great about this framework of play is that if you put it in context of, say, running, it makes perfect sense that, of course, if you want to eventually run a marathon, the moment that you decide this is what I'm going to do should be the moment that you start walking or running, depending on where you're at physically. Maybe later you're going to supplement your plans by weightlifting or swimming or something like that, but you should probably start where you want to end up by actually running. You're not going to go look at shoes first um, and then buy some shoes and then buy, you know, like a training. No, you're just going to begin with the play. It starts immediately. And so this leads me to my final part of this episode, which is just throwing several different ideas out that you could use in, again, that first class period or even that first couple of class periods to get students to think about how the the content of the course can be approached in this way that is engaging and can be approached in this way that is going to allow them to, to play. You could, for example, have students offer up some demographic information so that you can use it to talk about the dynamics of the class environment. This might be really good in a STEM class where you notice that you have a lot of students of color or a lot of students that are from underrepresented categories or that are first gen so that they can see that in this room there are other people who are coming from similar backgrounds so that they can feel like they're not having to struggle alone. You could as uh, someone told me earlier this week uh, in a religion class, ask students to generate a list of, of things and then point out what patterns you, you were noticing. So in this particular case, he asked students to come up with a list of, of historically important people. They put it up and then he gently and kind of encouraged them to think about the fact that it was a list of primarily white men to which the students were like, oh yeah, it is. And that was perfect to segue into what he's looking at in his course. You could have students generate a hypothesis about a typical problem in your course, or you could even introduce them to the final thing that they will be working on and have them to start thinking about like, how would they approach it, right? You could get them excited that way. You could do a sort of common sense inventory or do a, uh, as I mentioned earlier, some sort of retrieval practice where you're seeing what they actually know um, previously that they can bring into relationship into this course. There are so many things that you can do to encourage your students to begin playing immediately. And it really doesn't matter what you choose to do so long as it is, again, connected back to the learning outcomes, to the atmosphere, to the community that you are wanting to foster all semester long. So to return to that idea, a friend invites you over to play a game and says, we're going to be playing this game for a whole lot of time. And he says, but first I want for us to play this other game because it has a similar game dynamic. That would be intriguing. That would help me to see things and to see the relationship between things. And so I think it's really important to remember that it is not impossible 
to have the setup be interesting. Play can happen even in the setup. One of the best experiences I had with a particular game was actually when I was first learning how to play because the person who was teaching me made the organization and the sorting of things and the determining of teams into a competition. And so it felt like a game in its own right. And that was highly enjoyable. And so play happens the moment we decide it does. It doesn't have to happen once we've gone through the rules or the format. There's just the sky's the limit as far as activities that you can do to make sure that that first day isn't just syllabus day, that it really is the first day of play. As I wrap up today's podcast, I want to end by referring to a article published in the Chronicle of Higher Education by James M. Lang, who wrote the book Small Teaching. And this particular piece is called How to Teach a Good First Day of Class. And he starts with curiosity, which just makes my heart so happy because, again, curiosity is at the heart of play. But one of his other big criteria is community. And I want to stress that it doesn't matter if you are going to have a small under 20 number of students seminar section or a large 300 plus lecture style course. Community is still something that is really important and that you need to be crafting from that first day. And so some of this goes to the tone that you want to set between you and your students. It can be really easy, and I've done this myself, to have language in your syllabus that is based off of experiences from previous courses. I'm no longer going to do this, or it's your responsibility to do that. And I still have some of that kind of language about like, it's your responsibility to check your grade, because I just want them to know that I'm, I'm not gonna always give them reports, right? But whatever tone it is that we set between us and them on that first day is gonna be the tone that carries through throughout the entire semester. And so if we want our students to feel that, that this, this play that they are engaging in is one that they are engaging in with you and with their classmates to varying degrees, we have to make sure that from the very first day, and especially in those first weeks, we are creating the community that is going to be best suited to the play that is gonna happen with our students. There is a great book called 33 Simple Strategies for Faculty by Lisa M. Nunn, N-U-N-N, where she breaks up these strategies uh, into the various weeks of the semester, and she has some great ideas about things to do for that first week. And there are lots of articles. If you do a quick search of the first day, the first week in higher education, the Chronicle, Inside Higher Ed, uh, Vita, there's lots of sources that will pop up really great articles by people that have been teaching for a very long time. And I encourage you to find them and to always be thinking about that first day, not as just something that you all have to get through to get to the good stuff, but as like the opening to the wonder that they will be and that you will be experiencing for the next 15, 16 weeks. Next episode, I will go back to what I had originally said I had wanted to do next, which was to talk about lecturing. So I have three episodes where we looked at different ways to engage in discussion. And now I want to turn to the other side, lecture, because lectures are not the opposite of discussion. They are a part of the teaching toolbox in the same way that discussion is. But there's lots of really important things we need to keep in mind to ensure that a lecture doesn't become the equivalent of the death of play. I hope you will join me for the next episode. And in the meantime, thank you and happy teaching. Mm -hmm.